Film production often has a habit of going way off the rails, and in recent years, the news has been full of torturous, drawn-out production histories on movies that limped their way to the finish line, coming out in highly compromised forms. Recent examples include Rogue One and the now-infamous Justice League, but it's not always the big-budget tentpoles that wind up getting stuck in production limbo. Sometimes, it's relatively modest films that, for one reason or another, just don't come together in a way that pleases everyone. Such an example is this week's film, so join us here at Joe Blow Horror as we take a look at what the fuck happened to Hellraiser Bloodline. Flashback to the year 1992. By this point, Clive Barker's Hellraiser has already spawned a ghoulish horror icon in the form of Doug Bradley's Cenobite Pinhead. Having first appeared in Clive Barker's Hellraiser and its sequel, Hellbound Hellraiser 2, Pinhead was a departure from the usual larger-than-life villains of the 80s. Sure, he looked cool with a head full of pins, but unlike Jason, he wasn't mute, and unlike Freddy, he never cracked wise. Rather, he was articulate, even elegant in some ways. Now, box office-wise, neither Hellraiser film set the world on fire, but they did pretty well, with the first movie grossing $14 million on a pretty low $1 million budget, while the sequel only grossed a little bit less, $12 million. Not bad for 1988. Initially, the franchise was owned by New World Pictures, the company behind 80s classics like House and Dead Heat, but towards the end of the decade, too many pricey flops meant they went belly up, and their most valuable properties ended up in the hands of other studios. Enter Miramax and the now infamous Weinstein Brothers. By the year 1990, Hellraiser 3 was in development with 20th Century Fox, but the failure of Clive Barker's Nightbreed chilled the project, putting it squarely in development hell. The rights to the franchise went into the hands of a group of New World Pictures development executives who founded the company Transatlantic Pictures. Good news, right? Wrong. They balked at Barker's price tag, leading him to leaving the proposed Hellraiser 3 entirely, at least for the time being. According to Barker, they simply wanted something cheap and nasty, and that wasn't something he was willing to put his name on. Now, initially, the director of Hellbound Hellraiser 2, Tony Randall, was set to direct Hellraiser 3, but it turned out his vision for the film was far too arty and bleak for Transatlantic, who wanted a mainstream movie. So instead, they brought on director Anthony Hickox, who had established his genre bona fides with Waxwork and Waxwork 2. He even won Barker's blessing with him assuring Barker that he was a fan of the series who would not alter the tone that had been established so far. And so the film went forward, only to run into post-production issues. And it was at this point that Miramax got involved with them smartly consulting with Barker, despite him not being involved initially, over the movie that they'd been handed. His words were not kind, and to their credit, they actually put some money into post-production, enhancing the effects and gore, and the finished film was a modest success, grossing $12.5 million above the last film and ensuring that Miramax, through their genre-armed dimension, would want a follow-up. After all, it was a horror series that seemed like it was kind of working theatrically. But here's where things got very, very tricky. Thanks to his good relationship with the Weinstein brothers, Barker was back in the fold, agreeing to be the executive producer of the proposed fourth film, with his idea being to do a film set in three distinct time periods, a concept Miramax signed off on without even requiring an outline. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is red flag number one. Now, here's where the problems really began. The screenplay that was proposed was very ambitious. So ambitious, in fact, that there was no way Dimension would bankroll it. Quick and cheap was the modus operandi for their John Fair. 
The late Stuart Gordon, who delivered a solid hit for Dimension with Fortress starring Christoph Lambert, was an old hand making the most out of low-budget horror and was in fact approached to direct, but there were too many cooks in the kitchen for him and he backed out, wisely it seems. Instead, they ended up with Kevin Yeager. Not a bad choice, with him being an old hand at makeup effects and a protege of Joel Silver, for whom he directed a few Tales from the Crypt episodes. Apparently the shoot was anything but smooth, with lots of members of production not making it through the first week, but things got really rough once Yeager turned in his first cut. The film as it exists now carries a directing credit for Alan Smithy. This was the go-to pseudonym used in Hollywood for decades that was assigned whenever a director decided to remove their credit. For it to be granted, the director had to go through the Directors Guild of America, as enough people knew about the pseudonym that when assigned, it was essentially the kiss of death for any film artistically and financially. The pseudonym was retired after the release of the movie Burn Hollywood Burn, an Alan Smithy film, which coincidentally also carried an Alan Smithy pseudonym. Thus, Hellraiser Bloodline was one of the last films released that way. Now the reason Jaeger attempted to take the credit is this. When the movie was turned into Dimension, the Weinsteins had major issues with it. For one thing, the film took place over three distinct time periods, France, Circa the Revolution, Modern Day, and then the future. The main lead, Bruce Ramsey, played three characters from the same bloodline, and the movie told a linear story of a toy maker who inadvertently creates a puzzle box called the Lament Configuration for a libertine aristocrat in France, Circa the Revolution, which opens the door to hell, and when he realizes what he's done, he tries to create another box that would undo the damage caused by the first, only to be killed, but not before being informed that his bloodline is cursed until the end of time, with him having opened the portal to hell, hence the title, Hellraiser Bloodline. Jump forward to modern times, when his latest ancestor is an architect building a skyscraper in the design of the Lament Configuration. It's here that Pinhead comes into the film with him working with an assistant-slash-adversary, Angelique, who was a peasant girl sacrificed to hell in the first act, and together they need to stop the architect from creating the Elysium configuration, which would close the door to hell permanently. In the end, they kill the ancestor, but the configuration is activated, sending Pinhead and Angelique back to hell, but in a future coda set in 2127 above a space station, Angelique and Pinhead have once again been freed to do battle with, you guessed it, the toy maker and architect's descendant. And all this happens in a mere 90 minutes. Now, the Weinstein brothers weren't happy with the original cut. Even though they had greenlit the screenplay, they now took issue with the fact that Pinhead only makes his entrance in the second act set in the modern day. Thus, they wanted the coda to now serve as a framing device, allowing them to bring in Pinhead early on. They also wanted to beef up his role and make the Angelique part sexier, even laying in some hints that Pinhead and her are sexually attracted to each other. Thus, the film underwent massive rescripting by Ran Ravitch, the writer of Candyman Farewell to the Flesh. Yeager was offered the chance to do the additional photography, but declined, and Joe Chappelle, who had worked with Dimension successfully on Halloween The Curse of Michael Myers, was brought in. The new scenes thoroughly changed the film, with one of the results being that a young Adam Scott, who had a smallish role as a murderous French nobleman in the first act named Jacques, wound up having a much more prominent role, and Yeager was dismayed enough at what had been done to his work that he demanded for and received the Alan Smithy credit. A daring move considering the clout the Weinsteins had in the business at the time. Many other films of theirs had been cut to ribbons and reshot, but the directors were unwilling or afraid to cross them. Instead, Jaeger stuck to his guns and indeed never directed again. Chappelle's contribution didn't amount to enough screen time to demand credit for himself, but he would be rewarded with a plum assignment from the Weinsteins, directing their horror film Phantoms, starring Ben Affleck and Rose McGowan the next year. 
Now, watching Hellraiser Bloodline now, it really can't be denied that the film is, let's face it, no masterpiece. The performances seem to be going for high camp, yet no director's cut exists, so who's to say how the finished film would have fared had the original director been allowed to continue? Chappelle's scenes feel more like a traditional studio films than Jaeger's do, in both good ways and bad, with the finished film a mess. And I have to say, there are some really poor performances by much of the cast, although Doug Bradley always fares pretty well as Pinhead. The movie more or less tanked when it came out in the late winter of 1996, grossing $4.5 million its first weekend, good enough for a fifth place start and finishing at $9.3 million gross total. Although perhaps that's really not a disaster considering the other films didn't exactly make all that much more. The film was followed by a direct-to-video sequel, Hellraiser Inferno, which was directed by young Scott Derrickson, which was relatively well-received, although only loosely connected to the universe, which in turn led to yet another five direct-to-video sequels, all produced by Murenshin Films, although with the studio having been shuttered in the wake of Harvey Weinstein's downfall, the future of the series seems very much in doubt, although I'm sure someone at some point will come along and make another one, or just reboot the whole thing. But what about the original version of Hellraiser Bloodline? Here's where it gets even more confusing. Jaeger's cut has yet to surface, although apparently it does still exist in some form. A work print, which runs quite a bit shorter than the film as it exists now, is actually floating around out there, and apparently it has more footage from the original cut. Valentina Vargas' original vocal performance as Angelique is intact, with her having been looped for the new cut, and more animosity between Pinhead and her character is evident, as well as a different structure and a significantly different ending. Now, for many fans, it's considered far superior to the theatrical cut, but still quite far off from what was intended, and so, in the years since, devoted fans of the saga have been trying to reconstruct their own versions of the film using work print footage and the theatrical cut. Perhaps had someone else owned the rights other than the Weinsteins, fan interest would have been enough to get Jaeger's version released, but for the time being, these fan recuts are really the best we can hope for, at least until the rights to the franchise are sold off to different buyers, which, I contend, will eventually happen. For now, all we have are tantalizing glimpses at what might have been. A lot of Weinstein-produced films are caught up in legal red tape, although that hasn't stopped a few directors from trying to balance the ledgers, with Mark Christopher, the director of the Miramax film 54, reconstructing his own director's cut using nothing more than a VHS copy of the rough cut, which he eventually got the rights to distribute on iTunes. Now, no one is suggesting that the original cut of Hellraiser Bloodline is a lost masterpiece, but at least it seemed like it might have been a more honest, coherent effort, albeit one that probably will not see the light of day anytime soon. For Joe Blowhor, I'm Chris Bumbray. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. No sooner do I write this what the fuck happened to Hellraiser bloodline than what the fuck happens, but a Hellraiser TV series gets greenlit for HBO with none other than David Gordon Green, director of the Halloween reboot, at the top of the list as directors. So it looks as though there's still some life in Pinhead left. Hmm, I wonder who they're going to get to play him. Until next time, for Joe Blow Horror, I'm Chris Bumbray. <laughs>